America's founding fathers believed their vision, the city upon a hill, could only succeed with a special people in a special place. Over 240 years later, we the people, our American story is still unfolding. My name is Tina McCafferty. Join me every Friday as I spotlight those who embody the American values of faith, courage, and heroism. You will be uplifted, inspired, proud, and humbled to call yourself an American. American history is more than history. It's personal. I'm excited to start this with you. Are you ready to begin? I don't know if you can hear me, but I'm peeing in my pants right now. Let's get this started then. Are you ready to embark on a no-holds-barred, pull-no-punches conversation with Rick Savage? He loves his country and offers his no-spin opinions. Whether you agree or disagree, Rick is straightforward in your face. Here we go. Episode 26, Rick's American Story. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of We the People, Our American Story. My guest today is Rick Savage, and I know that we're going to be rocking and rolling through this episode. I don't want to delay it. Welcome, Rick. What's going on, baby? (laughs) And that is a fantastic way to start. How are you? Actually kind of chilled, kind of relaxed today. You know, I'm looking at kind of, I'm looking at doing a bubble bath later, maybe a few mood candles. That sounds really good. That actually sounds very relaxing. I might follow that. That sounds good. What I do. Can you share with us the beginning of your story? Tell us about Little Rick, but when you started, you weren't Little Rick, right? No, no. When I popped out, I was almost 11 pounds. So I jumped. I, when I came out, I grabbed the doctor and smacked him in the butt. You know, <laughs> I was my parents were liberal academics. So I was raised by uh, my mom was a librarian. My father was an English professor who specialized in French poetry. But he also loved Milton and Wordsworth and Sylvia Plath and Robert Frost. So I grew up inundated in kind of that world because that's what my dad did. And then I also grew up inundated in books because my mom, my mom to this day at 91 still reads a book or two a day and has for as long as I can remember. So I grew up being inundated with books and all this other kind of intellectually stuff. But then I grew up in a small town that was very rural Southern town in, in, in the Great Smoky Mountains. When I go to school, you know, it's not necessarily intellectual at all. It's more normal, you know, everybody's watching football, they're watching racing, they're going fishing, they're going hunting. So I kind of, I kind of felt, even though that I'm generational in my hometown, back into almost to the Revolutionary War, um, I still felt a little out of place in the school because I came from a little bit of a different background just with my parents. But I adjusted quick. Made it through, I made it through my first 12 years of school without failing a grade. I was impressed with that. I graduated high school, went on and joined the Army, spent time there, went to college, and then put myself through college uh, while I was wrestling. Why did you join the military? Where did that come from? I spent, I guess, I wanted to be in the military my whole life as a kid. For me, it was the Army. My brother was in the Navy. My family has a strong military tradition. We have veterans in all wars going back to the Revolutionary War all the way up through uh, Vietnam. And and I was a veteran. I was uh, serving during the Gulf War. So, and then my nephew served, was in the Marines when uh, 
uh, 9-11 happened. So we've had a very strong military tradition in our family, and I wanted to carry that on. Plus, I, I've always looked at uh, the U.S. military as the great good in the world. You know, the U.S. military has lifted more people out of enslavement than any force in the history of the planet. So I've always wanted to be a part of a force that was that good, that amazing, that did that kind of work, defended our country. So I joined, you know, and I, and I did my tour and it's, you know, I was in the field artillery. I didn't do anything fancy. You know, I was in for three years. I didn't get deployed. I blew my knee out. So actually I'm a retired veteran because I blew my knee out wrestling for the 82nd Airborne and they booted me out instead of taking me to the desert because I was, they retired me. So the doctor was like, you'll thank me for this one day. <laughs> and I, I did because, you know, now I have health insurance through, you know, TRICARE, which is wonderful. But, you know, to me, the, the U.S. military is, is the last defense between us and communism, terrorism. I mean, they're, they're the people that allow us to sleep in our beds safe at night. I saw on your bio that you sent me, and who knew that you were put on the wrestling team for your military unit? Yes. I was on the 82nd Airborne uh, post-wrestling team at Fort Bragg. They I have had no idea team. that even existed. I don't know if it still does. This okay. is, you, you figure this is 1989. So back then, the Fort Bragg had a post-wrestling team. Most post, you know, uh, bases had them. Even the Marines and all had them. You would have to wrestle in the, in the post-tournament. And if you won your weight class, then they cut your orders and put you on the post team. And that became your job. That's all you did. You didn't go back to your unit. I got put on the post wrestling team. And then in practice, a couple of weeks later, I was wrestling a guy a couple of weight classes down to work on my speed on my uh, back leg trip. And I blew my left knee out. You know, it destroyed my ACL, my LCL, my capsule, everything. Completely wrecked my knee. And that's what they ended up booting me. Did you wrestle before? Had you wrestled in high school? I wrestled in high school, and then I had a wrestling scholarship to a small school in North Carolina called Pembroke State University, which is now the University of North Carolina at Pembroke. But I ended up hurting my back severely there. I wasn't able to finish the season, and they killed my scholarship. So I said, to hell with you then. I'll join the Army. How were you able to go into pro wrestling after all these injuries? Well, pro wrestling is, while very athletic, is not exactly a competition. You're working with your opponent, not necessarily against your opponent. I know that's weird. I was able to do wrestling and not have to worry because nobody was intentionally trying to hurt me. There's some big slams, though. Yeah. Oh, no. Trust me. I've had, through wrestling and powerlifting, I've had my lower back... Uh, I've had three lower back surgeries, four actually, I'm sorry, and I broke a vertebrae in my upper back. I mean, I've wrecked just about as much as you can. Why do you think it is important for us to keep sharing stories about our military, about our veterans, about those who sacrifice so much? Because that is why I started this podcast, a huge reason because I think there is a huge disconnect between the general public and the military and the sacrifice that they make for us. I would agree with you. I think we haven't had a real, 
I mean, we've, we've had the war on terror, but we haven't had an official declared war in a long time. That's, you know, 9-11 brought people together. We haven't had that big national incident that brought us all together as a country since 9-11. You know, and the problem is, I believe, truthfully, there are folks in this society that do not want us together uh, they want us divided because it's easier to acquire power when you have everybody fighting amongst themselves than it is to acquire power if everybody's on the same page. So if you keep everybody, you know, if you keep the general American populace arguing, you know, about BLM or you keep them arguing about QAnon or all this other social justice crap then everybody is so focused on that they're not watching what's going on over here they're not paying close attention to what's going on over here and what's going on right now is not at all a good thing for our country share with us maybe some of the veterans that you know and what they have taught you some of these that have sacrificed so much one that we have in common such as shiloh harris you being a veteran what does their sacrifice mean and what has it taught you well, Shiloh probably taught me the most because I've spent the most amount of time. I mean, Shiloh's, Shiloh and Jamie are family to me and my wife, Rita. So Shiloh taught me that I don't have anything to complain about. Shiloh Harris, you know, Shiloh was in Iraq. He got hit, his, his uh, Humvee got hit by several IEDs. He was burned in 85% of his body. He's got fingers that were literally melted together. He's missing, you know, his ears were melted off his head. Part of his, I mean, it, it was just, he was just wrecked as a person. Yet when you meet or talk to Shiloh, he's the most upbeat, funny, great guy to talk to that you can meet. So it's kind of like when you meet Shiloh, and I'm a whiny person. I'm that kind of like, everything sucks. My life sucks. Everything sucks. <laughs> you meet Shiloh, it's kind of like you feel embarrassed for whining because here's a guy that has more reason to whine than anybody you've ever met in the world, and he's more optimistic than anybody else. Shiloh Harris em embodies the American spirit, the American passion. You know, Shiloh to me is the definition of an American hero. I agree. You know, I've spoken with uh, four people that have had traumatic injuries like Shiloh. Colonel Greg Gadsden, he's a double amputee. I spoke to another double amputee, Matthew Bradford, who's a double amputee and lost his sight from shrapnel. And it's really interesting to me because I kind of tiptoe around this, not sure if I should ask, but I asked all four of them, was the sacrifice worth it? And what do you think their answer was? Of course, they would go back right now and do it again. I mean, that's that's what you hear from these guys. It's like, you know, hey, send me back in, coach. You know, just give me a little duct tape. I'll be I'll be okay. It, when I had my talk with Shiloh, the one time that he teared up and I, I could feel his emotion was the sacrifice was worth it, but yet he wishes that he could have done something to save those three other people that were with him, that was his biggest regret. And that's what I hear from these people is the regret of the others who were injured, not themselves, or the others that were lost, not themselves. Yes, yeah, it's almost like a survivor guilt mm -hmm. that they have because, you know, why did this IED explode and kill five people, but, I, but I'm still here? You know, their fam they were just as good a people as me, and now their families don't have anyone, and my family still has me. So there is a survivor guilt to it. 
you know, that involves, that's why, you know, it's so important to help the veterans. We're losing, you know, 19 or 20 a day to suicide. And a lot of it is due to the psychotropic meds that they prescribe these guys to try to deal with this stuff. But it just, I think it just makes it worse and puts them into a state of depression. What are you doing to help veterans today? Because I know you are. I am a ambassador for the Adapt-A-Vet organization, which is a group that goes in and adapts homes to veterans with disabilities so that they're able to function normally. I'm also a member and ambassador for the Patriot Project, along with Shiloh, in which uh, we're offering chiropractic care at no charge for veterans, Gold Star families, and dependents around the country with participating chiropractors as an alternative to the psychotropic meds. Shiloh will be the first one to tell you that chiropractic is one of the things that saved his life and is why he is still able to talk to us today. What do you wish the general public knew about the military or understood that they don't? I think everything goes on a political divide these days. There's no way you can talk about the military unless you talk about modern politics, you know, Republicans, Democrats, liberals, conservatives, left and right. Because that's really, if you look at the military and you look at the people that support the military, love the military and have bumper stickers on their car supporting the military, they tend to be conservative. They tend to be Republicans. They tend to be people that, that vote for the Trumps of the world. So I think because of that, a lot of the liberals in the world have chosen to look at the military through a distorted view. And, and they look at our military more as a problem in the world or creating problems more so they do in seeing that without our military, what the world would really be. Because if there was no U.S. military, it would be a bum rush between, you know, the Chinese, the Russians, the North Korean to, to take us over. How did that divide happen? The divide happens through our media. The divide happens in schools. They're teaching children not to like and love their own country. They're not teaching kids to love their country. They're not teaching kids about patriotism. They're not teaching kids about the great of America. They're teaching kids that because slavery existed, then everything is wrong and it needs to be broken down and started over. And that's, I mean, it is such a dangerous myth. But the problem is all the forces that control you know, the education, the teachers' unions, the universities are all almost exclusively run by America-hating leftist people. And I don't say Democrats, because not all Democrats are like this, but the true leftists, the true liberal, whatever you want to call woke, I think is the word that all, that all these yuckaloons are using these days. They're the most dangerous people to this country, to our future. More dangerous than terrorism, China, Russia, is the woke left. I started this podcast, let's see, I started it in the fall. And the reason why I started it was because, like yourself, it got to the point where I couldn't believe the things that I was hearing. And I think it just, it's become so much more bigger than I had ever thought it would get, hearing all the horrible things people would say about our founding fathers. I mean, how ludicrous is it that they're, I don't know if it went through, changing the name of a school in San Francisco because Abraham Lincoln didn't do enough to end slavery. Yeah, the Civil War was, I mean, you know, 600,000 American lives. Yeah, we could have done a better job. I try to figure out where all this came from, and I can't figure 
it blows my mind. I don't understand how this has become such a massive conflict here in this country when it shouldn't be. I mean, it's starting to scare the rest of the world. I mean, the rest of the Western world, the French, the British, they're like, this woke crap in America is starting to affect us and it's not good. This is not a good thing. You know, I know the people that are woke feel like that they're enlightened and that they're evolved and that they're smarter and that they know what's going on. The rest of us are all a bunch of knuckle scraping racists, but that's not the truth. And they've distorted everything in this country. It's crazy because the, the right or the Republicans or whoever, whatever you want to call them, ceded the culture war to the left decades ago. And Republicans at some point decided that we're just going to lose with dignity instead of actually fighting. And the liberals fight. The liberals fight dirty. The reason that we know all this now is because Donald Trump was elected president and Donald Trump was a fighter. And the liberals are used to Republicans rolling over and, and saying, scratch our belly and like us. And Trump came in and said, screw you. You hit me, I'm going to hit you harder. And he actually was able to get them to expose themselves for what they really are and what they really think, which is basically America suck and it needs to be rebuilt along woke lines. With, you know, if, if something like that was to happen and you have an administration like that right now that would love, Joe Biden, I don't even think knows exactly where he is these days, but the people around him are radical woke leftists and they're going to push everything they can push and get what they can get until 2022. Do you know Tom Kaplan? I might. The name sounds vaguely familiar. He served for a time in the 82nd Airborne. But one of the things I, I spoke with him, and there's a big controversy, of course, as always, about whether to burn the flag and desecrating the flag. And... One of the things that Tom said that really touched me was he will always stand for the flag because he has been in a plane surrounded by flag draped coffins. Exactly. If you've never put your life in a place where you could end up in one of those coffins with a flag on it, you got no right, no right. You have not earned the right to burn one. Sorry. What do we need to do to ha help this country heal then? Is there a way out of it? Truthfully, I don't think there is. I think uh, COVID kind of gave a lot of, of people uh, a sense, a newfound sense of power, as we've seen, and they're, and they're not going to be willing to give it up quickly. You know, if you, it's obvious. You can look at Florida and you can look at California and you can see the difference between left and right. They both had radically different, you know, re reactions to the pandemic. Both had pretty similar numbers, but one was locked down and one wasn't. So, I mean, that's kind of the left almost reflexively. Everything with them is always limiting your freedom. You know, there's a shooting. We got to stop guns. You know, there's something racist happens. We have to indoctrinate. It, no matter what happens, the left always wants to take use that as a reason to take away individual freedom. And I think that's, that is the biggest fear of all. So we have to stay vigilant. You know, you have to stay engaged locally is the best thing. If you're, if you want to affect your country, 
you can vote nationally. We all get one vote, but your local county and town, that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where you can go in and make the most differences is getting good people elected on your county boards, your town boards, your mayors, those people. Because look at what you're getting, you know, at look, think about if you're like a normal person that lives in Portland, Oregon or Seattle right now, what you have to be thinking and these colossal idiots that are running these cities that are, that are allowing this to happen because of their warped and naive, stupid political worldview, they're willing to let all these other people who they all you know, took an oath to protect and do the best for, they're just leaving them hanging out in the breeze over, over a political philosophy. And that's all it is. You know, The problem with liberals is they don't understand that what they think is just a political point of view. It is not the way things are and the rest of us just need to be beaten into submission. It's a political point of view, it's a worldview. And political views and worldviews are like buttholes. Everybody's got one. <laughs> well, what should we tell young people? I'm talking about uh, these 20 year olds who think <laughs> they know it all. Well, there's only so much you can tell them because they do. I mean, I've got kids. I mean, I raised, my kids are all smart and not left as wax, but you can't tell kids anything. They have to learn on their own. You can only give them a strong foundation as a parent as you're raising them and hope that that helps and hope that that is enough to get them through all the trials and tribulations they go through. But you're a parent, I'm sure you know the deal. One, one bad friend ruins everything. That's all it takes. You air all your hard work, it just takes one bad friend and you're screwed. So I tell people, pay attention to the kids that your kids are hanging out with and definitely pay attention to the curriculum that they're being taught in school. If it comes up this critical race theory or 1619 or any of this other whacked off the, off the wall crap, you have every right to go in there and rip that school to pieces. I know not everybody can homeschool their kids, but if enough parents start pulling their kids out or attacking these schools for this ridiculous divisive curriculum, maybe, maybe we can start making a difference. But Republicans got to get in the culture wars. We got to quit sitting on the sidelines. You know, conservatives or, you know, people who are normal, I say, you got to quit sitting on the sidelines allowing all this stuff to happen because you're afraid somebody's going to call you a mean name. You know, I've been called a racist so many times since May, I can't even count. And I could care less. If you want to call me a racist, call me a racist. You want to call me a white supremacist, call me a white supremacist. Those words have been watered down to the point where they don't mean anything anymore because they've been so overused for everything. That's kind of a nutshell. You know, take an interest in your kids' friends and definitely take an interest in what they're teaching your kids in school. Well, that is interesting to me about the names that you've been called. Because I'll admit, for me, it's really hard for me to say something. Because I'm afraid as soon as I say something, you're called out for it. I don't even know where to go from there. And I don't know, because I want to. I think it's important that we stand up for our country and for our ideals. But it is so hard when as soon as you do, you just get ripped apart. And who ever thought that we would be on that side of the fence? Well, I mean, a lot of us saw it coming. You know, I'm a history guy, so I've been watching for the past 20 years. I've been telling people Confederate monuments are going to be attacked at some point. Oh, no, they won't. You're an exaggerating. You're being hysterical. You're, 
And guess what? What a shock. Not just those, but monuments of Lincoln, all this stuff, because that's what they did in 1917 when the communists took over. That's what the ISIS did when they, when they take over. It's about destroying the symbols of the culture of the other guy and replacing them with your own. So knocking down monuments, the symbolism behind that was striking. If you're a history person, you know exactly what's behind that. It isn't just a bunch of stupid kids pulling down monuments that they don't know anything about. You know, we heard about the Capitol riot and all you've heard is, it was an insurrection. The person that got shot was an unarmed woman. It was not an insurrection, yet we watched a real insurrection go down between May I mean, we're watching courthouses getting towards, cops being attacked, police cars being Molotov cocktails. Yet every day I can open up a news app and see how one of those horrible insurrectionists from the Capitol's been arrested in Fort Bend, Utah. And then you've got all these people that burned down American cities for a whole summer, pretty much encouraged. And I don't see them being perp-walked on TV the same way, even though what they did was actual destruction of other people's lives and property. So to me, the hypocrisy is ranked. But when you got a vice president like Kamala Harris, who supported this, you know, and who is a hypocrite in her own life, then, you know, you get what you get. And also, like with the founding fathers, there's so much about slavery. And I think what... Um... And of course, no one's saying slavery was good. It was an awful thing. But I think they get a lot of flack for that. The founding fathers, what a lot of people forget is they were trying to keep a very fragile union together. Yep, with a lot of different kinds of people, a lot of different mind frames. And people also have to remember, judging a historical figure outside of their historical context is intellectually lazy and it is what stupid people do. You got 150 years of growth and societal growth. So you're gonna go back and look at a guy 150 years ago that lived in a completely different country in a completely different everything than you. And you're gonna judge him on race based on the fact that we had slavery, which of course back then it wasn't illegal. It was in other parts of the world. We still have slavery today. You got kids being enslaved for sex. Every day, all day long, the border is being inundated with kids being pretty much hauled up here for human trafficking, and nobody seems to bat an eye. We're worried about slavery that happened to people over 150 years ago. None of them still exist. Their children are all dead. Their grandchildren are dead. You're dealing with great, great, great grandkids now. And you won't even know who here was a descendant, who wasn't, who moved here later. The whole thing is, is a crock. It's a way to shut down discussion, shut down argument, shut down dissent, browbeat people and take power, period. That's all it is. I say that all the time that it is stupid for a 21st century mind to try to get into the mind of an 18th century person. You can't do it. You didn't let, you don't live in this. Can you imagine if you pulled George Washington and just dropped him into New York City with no explanation and said, figure your way out. What's it gonna be like for him? I mean, nothing is the same. If you had a conversation with him, he's gonna seem like a complete idiot because he doesn't know anything. That's how history works. So judging people, to me, a lot of this attack is, we can't go back and yell at the people that did this. So let's just get everybody else that we can. This is like, let's get all the white people. We can't get the ones that did it, but let's get the other ones. Let's get the ones that are left. 
let's get those damn Republicans. They support all this crap. I think a lot of it is just a stick it to people we don't like. And if you've ever met the hardcore leftists, most of them don't have very good relationships. They're not able to maintain husband wife relationships very well. They tend to be unhappy, angry, frustrated people. And almost nine out of 10 of them have never had a real job. They've always either worked for the state, the federal government, the county. They've always had a guaranteed paycheck. The money has always flowed to them through government. So to them, government is the uh, benefactor. Why does socialism look so good to so many Americans? Because they don't know the difference. We haven't, we've lived in such a long time of prosperous peace, Iraq and all that. We lost 4,000 people over what, 12 years? I mean, you know, we were losing that in a day in World War II. So, and it's way far away. And unless you have members of your family in the military, it doesn't really affect you. So I think that's a lot of it right there. I think people just, they don't know what the difference is. The people you want to talk to are the people that moved here from Cuba, the people that moved here from Venezuela, the people that moved here from countries that actually had socialism. They were the ones that were out in the street with Trump signs because they know what happens next. What do you think that these people who are in favor of socialism think they're going to get that they're not getting now? Oh, they think somebody is going to provide them what they need. They feel like, you know, housing would somehow be provided. You know, your electric health care, they always believe that doctor's visits will be, everything will be better because it'll be paid for. But it doesn't necessarily work that way. I have friends that are Swedish and they moved here because they said opening a business in Sweden, the tax rate on the Swedish is 61% is your individual tax rate. So if you make $100,000 by the time it's all said and done, you're only gonna get between 30 and 40,000 of that to keep and the government's gonna take the rest of it. I would rather make my own money and pay for my own healthcare than have it where the more you depend on anything, to me, the worse off you are. I don't like depending on people, countries, governments. I like depending on me. And I feel like a lot of these, quote, socialist people, I think they're just, a lot of them are lazy. Somebody else take care of it. Let somebody else deal with the problem. Is the government trustworthy to give your money to? No, of course not. I think we, we can all see that, for crying out loud. The government's never been. You know, the more money you give, you know, the government can't run any program. It's destroyed every program it's ever run, bankrupted it. Let's give them health care. Let's give them that. That's what you want. You want the government to control whether you live or die, because that's what health care is. Let's give them that control. And, you know, why not at that point just all of us turn our guns in and keep our doors unlocked and go from there? What worries you the most right now? What worries me the most is the fact that we just elected or supposedly elected one of the most radical left-wing administrations in the history of the country. They are in control of government. Republicans have very limited uh, resources to stop them. So my fear is between now and 2022, when we can knock some of these wackaloons out of office, we're going to be dealing with a lot of crazy crap. They're going to try, you know, guy hadn't even been in office but a couple of months he's already let's do a tax increase let's open the borders i mean they're insane these people are literally insane you know why 
people say this border thing, it's intentional. They want to bring in a whole massive new uneducated class of dependents to come in that they can eventually vote Democrat, of course, and because they've lost so much of their traditional voting, the white working class, the blue collar, all those people left because they were like, these people are nuts. And so they need a voting base. So if you import yourself a new voting base, that's what they're trying to do. When we talk about the border, how do you combine compassion versus integrity? Well, I mean, you've got to be compassionate, but Trump had it fixed. I mean, he had the deal. He had the stay in Mexico policy. They had, we had the least amount of illegal immigration under the Trump administration than we've, than we've had in decades. And that was because of Trump worked with other countries, made deals with them, had it set up to where we don't do catch and release, which is the stupidest thing. They're, now they're not, they're basically getting apprehended on the border and literally being dropped off. They're not even giving them a court date now. They, they're being so inundated. They're just, hey, you're here, good luck, have fun, enjoy America because that's, that's where we are. And if you don't have a border, you don't have a country. I get everybody feels like, you know, all these white people stole it from the, you know, Indians and they stole it from the natives and blah, 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 blah. So who cares? They're just stealing it back. This isn't a functional way to run a country and it doesn't work. Can't give healthcare to illegal aliens and yet your own people don't get it because then you're just giving more incentives. I mean, look at all the incentives to come here now. And it, it's only going to get worse because you have an administration that wants this. This is how the Democrats see their guaranteed future, is by bringing in a lot of these folks and getting them to vote Democrat after, of course, you give them all amnesty. I think a lot of people don't realize, oh, this is so hard. America, did we conquer the inhabitants that were here before? Yes. But what people don't realize is that this is true of every nation in the world. Does that make sense? I mean, America gets a bad rap for coming in and, you know, the Native Americans, did they, horrible things happen? Yes. But I don't think people understand that this is something that has happened in every nation of the world throughout history, that America gets called on it because we're the big dog, we're the top dog. We're the top dog. And, you know, what happened to the Native Americans was horrible. It's a travesty and what happened to them was shameful, but it happened and it's over. There's nothing we can do. And the people who were directly had it done to them are dead. The same with the former slaves. So all of these people are dead. You have descendants left and now everybody's kind of standing up saying, I want my piece of the pie. Look, it's what happened happens instead of sitting around going man i wonder what it would have been like if all these white people hadn't showed up how about <laughs> taking what you have what you got and make it better instead of always trying to break everything down do you think opportunities exist for everyone in america regardless of race 
Oh, absolutely. I think race is the least important thing and you're going to get a job. These, I don't think people care. Look, I've been on both sides. I've, I've been the interviewer and I've been the interviewee. I don't care what color somebody is. I don't care what sex they are. I just want somebody that I know will show up every day on time, do their job and not steal from me. If I can find that, I don't care if they are from Mars. That's all employers are looking for is people that'll work and that won't rob them. That's it. It's that simple. They're not sitting around going, you know, I think we need to go all white here. I, I really do. No, no, he's black. We're not going to hire. I don't think people do that. I think people are going, hey, this guy's got it together. This guy doesn't hire the guy that's got it together. It's as simple as that, We're, no matter what color. People that use race, they're, they're using it as a weapon. They're being professional victims. And professional victims, I got no respect for. One of my good friends is an African-American lady. Her name's Kim Moore. And she will be the first to tell you that African-Americans need to be part of the discussion, but not victims. You need people that have been through it, survived it, and know what it is. Do you believe America is the greatest country on earth? Always, 100%. I mean, we've lifted more people out of slavery. We have brought more freedom to more people. I mean, just, just take World War II by itself and look what we did. But look at World War One. Look at all the things that this country has done. Look at, look at all the people that we've helped. Look at all the money. Something happens in another country, a tornado, and Americans will raise billions of dollars out of the people to send to these other countries. So yeah, I feel like we are still the last great hope. What does America mean to you? Freedom. America means freedom to me. I've been in other countries. I've been to Mexico. You know, I've been in some third world countries. America to me means freedom. It means I can wake up every day and decide what I want to do. That I don't have someone else that I have to get permission from. That I can become anything I want. That I can make my own path. That it doesn't matter what my father did. It matters what I do. That to me is the, is the thing about America. I wanna be judged on my merits, not my father's merits, my family's merits. And America allows you to be able to be as successful as you want to be. Wow, what an episode. Rick, thank you for sharing your unflinching truth. No one has to guess where you stand. You can find a few of Rick's causes that he is passionate about at the Patriot Project, which offers chiropractic care for veterans, and adaptavet.org. If you are enjoying this podcast, leave a review and a rating. It helps get the word out about this important podcast. Let's share these stories together. Next week, my guest is Marcus Wilson. Until next Friday, see you then.